Hey, Oasis family, Oasis Online, good to see you. I'm so excited to be here today. Uh, thanks for letting me have a couple of weeks off as I prepared for the new series we are in today, Family Values. I'm so encouraged by our church family who partners with us in so many ways. And as a matter of fact, I want to thank you right now for your giving. Uh, many people give consistently to the family uh, that we call Oasis, and we are appreciative of that. And matter of fact, I want to just encourage you and, and, and challenge you that once a month to give a generous gift to the church. Whatever generosity means for you, that could be uh, $5, that could be you begin this journey of tithing. But what if we had a year where everyone decided, I'm not going to give nothing? Right. I would imagine that 30 to 40% of our church gives nothing or doesn't consistently give. And so I believe that God has called us to unity in this area, no matter what that amount is. Maybe you've never given before, and this is the first time you want to begin that journey. I want to encourage you. Guess what? Last week, we had 17 new givers at Oasis Church. Never before had ever given anything to the church, and they begin their journey of giving. Giving, I applaud all 17 of you, and I pray for you, and I'm grateful for you. And I believe even today as I speak, there will be 30 more givers who, de who decide, hey, I'm going to be a part of this family financially, and I'm going to do my part. And literally, some of you have been giving sporadically, and you feel the faith to move towards tithing, which is 10% of the income God's blessed you with. And many of you will start that journey today, or many of you, as you always do, will give over and above. So I want to give you that opportunity to do so today. You can go to oasisla.org forward slash give and do as our generous church always does, and that is to give. So don't forget to do that because it's one of the values. We're starting this new series, Family Values, and one of our values is we give, somebody say it, together. Together. And so I'm really excited about this series on family values, but I'm also a little nervous. To be honest, this isn't, isn't feeling like a series that's going to be like, super impressive to people. You know, sometimes as a preacher, you want I want to give you my best revelation that I've ever gotten in my life and my time basking in the presence of God. But this is really a back-to-basics sermon. Uh, what I'm believing for in your life is revival. And it's so interesting, um, before we started this, the cameras weren't rolling and, and Pastor Colton prayed, and he prayed that this series would bring about revival. And there's some things that have always had to happen in the life of believers before revival can come, revival in um, our spiritual life, Re revival, honestly, in our practical life. I'm believing that your health would be revived, that your finances would be revived, that your relationships, your marriages would be revived. But there have been two things that must happen before any revival. And one of those things has been a word called reformation. Where, where we change the way that we do things based off the direction of God. Uh, certain people change things for change's sake, like we're not going to be like the cool church, or, um, and so we're going to bore people to death with, with three-hour-long Bible studies. And certain people, we're not going to be like the boring church, so we're going to have all these things happening in church to excite people, donut walls and dancers, but we don't preach the word. And there's like all these spectrums of how people do church, but at the end of the day, um, we try to reform things, but reformation comes from changing things that God wants to be changed. But I don't believe our church is in a season of reformation. I believe our church is in a season of restoration, getting back to certain things that God had always intended 
for the church to be. And that is really my heart for this series, Family Values. So if you have your Bibles, today's going to be a bit of a setup for the series, and then we're going to go through these six core family values that are biblical, but they're also powerful. They'll change your life if you partake in them. So if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 8, verses 31 through 35. This is Jesus having a conversation with religious people. And I want to encourage you to read this whole passage of Scripture. Jesus gets, he, he gets stanky on this one, man. He's, he, sometimes we act like Jesus is just walking around being nice all the time, but he, he, was, he, he went in on these religious leaders. And so I want you to read the whole passage. The whole passage isn't necessarily relevant to what I have to say today. We're going to do four verses. So if you have your Bibles, turn to verse 31, John chapter 8, where it says this, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Uh, I want to just pause there for a second that there is a, a, a mission in culture to compromise the truth of God's word. And anytime people aren't living in truth, they're living in bondage. Anytime you're living in your truth and not God's truth, it is bondage. Now, not all bondage feels bad. By the way, some bondage feels good, but it always leaves you in a bad place in the end. When God says he's the beginning and the end, he's trying to start your life with God so that it would end with God for all of eternity. And he says, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now that word know is the same Greek word that Mary used when an angel of the Lord told her she would be pregnant. She said, how can that happen when I know not a man? Knowing, uh, she's talking about, I don't know Joseph. I don't intimately and, and even sexually know him. It was a very intimate thing. So this same word is used by saying, it's not you heard the truth and it'll set you free. You know the truth. So in order to live in freedom, when the truth is preached to you, either on online here on a Sunday service or in one of our connect groups, you have to then take that truth and be intimate with it. Most of us are in bondage because we are intimate with lies. We think about things that put us in bondage. We think about, most of you this week have thought about, if you're in a financial situation, most of you this week have thought about uh, paying March 1st rent and not having enough more than you've thought about God as your provider. And if you're intimate with fear, you will become fearful. If you're intimate with the word, you will become free. We cannot allow this word freedom to be thrown around like it's someone who gets to make choices without accountability or without responsibility. True freedom is one who has made choices based off their intimacy with the truth of God's word. That is freedom. So he goes on in verse 33, telling them this, and they go, wait, hold up. We're descendants of Abraham. We have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean you will be set free? They're talking about practical slavery. And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin. 35 says, a slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. So wait a minute. Jesus is giving a prophetic message, I believe, that is a message to the church that the whole point of us getting saved, of us coming to church, of us doing what we call Christianity is that we would be in the family of God forever, for all of eternity. Jesus would say later that who I accept, no one can snatch them out of my hand. And so in this Family Values series, the series is about the church is supposed to be a family. 
And we're supposed to operate as a supernatural family with a heavenly mission. I'm going to say that again. We're supposed to operate as a supernatural family with a heavenly mission. And at first, I was going to jump into these six things that we should do as a family, but I realized a lot of people don't view church as a family. So in order to tell you what the church is, we have to clarify what the church is not. And I want to tell you the church is not a business. Somebody put in the chat, a church is not a business. Uh, If you think the church is a business, then you come here and you have expectations to be pleased. Let's say, for example, my favorite restaurant is uh, Granville. And I go into Granville and I say, hey, I will take the thick cut pork chop. With the, res, with the, with the uh, cranberry jelly on top. Now, if I had to anoint you with some oil, and I didn't have the oil, I would find some rad cranberry jelly that's on top of the pork, pork chop and just blah, out, be blessed in Jesus' name. I mean, this stuff is absolutely delicious. And they cook the pork chop to where it's perfectly moist, and I expect them to do that. So when I go into the restaurant, I go into the restaurant and I place my order. They give me a menu and I decide what I want to eat and what I want to partake in based off the menu. And it's because it's a business. And based off the treatment that I get, it's how many times I go back there. Ooh, I'm already preaching. But the difference between a business and the church is that God's word is not a menu. You don't get to decide which part you want to do. It's not a place where we, giving is not a tip. It is participation in a family. We're being generous. And and if I went home and I asked, my wife came and I went home from work and, and, and and my wife said, hey, what kind of water do you want, sparkling or still? I'd go, still. And if she brought me back sparkling, can you imagine if I went, hey, take this back. I did not order this. No, because my house is not a business. It's a family. One of the most unhealthy churches you can ever have is a church that is a growing business, but a shrinking family. Because businesses have consumers and and, and customers. No, you're you're not a customer. You're not a consumer. The church is not a business. You know what else the church is not? The church is not an organized religion. You ever heard people say that? Well, I don't participate in organized religion. When they say it to me and I say, hey, you want to come to church? Well, I don't, I don't do organized religion. I'm like, do you know me? <laughs> Organization is not one of my gifts. There's no way God would want to make me a pastor if his intention was to organize religion. Uh, prophets were called to chaos. Ooh, I feel like preaching. They were called to organization. They were called to order. So, so we're confusing organization with order. Before God creates anything, the Bible says God is not a God of confusion. He's a God of order. And I just want to preach to someone who has replaced organization, uh, excuse me, who's replaced order with organization. Uh, Chaos and confusion is not the byproduct, first and foremost, of things not being organized. Chaos and confusion that affects your mental state and who you are as a person is a byproduct of things not being in God's order. So the church is not an organized religion. The church is a place where we do things based off the way God ordered them 
to be. God wants to set our lives in order. So we cannot worship idols. We cannot have things before God. We have to have our lives in order. The church is not an organized religion, but there is order, meaning that we do things not just the way God wants them to do to be done, but in the priority method, with God's priorities in mind. God is a God of order. The church is not a content creator. The church is not a content creator. I'm not doing anything cool, man. Like, we'll post some reels, but we might not. The church doesn't need a TikTok account if we don't want one. If God says to get a TikTok account, we can, but we're not a content creator. We, we preach the truth. We spread the gospel. And if we want to use TikTok to preach the gospel, we can, but I don't have to create content to make you want to be here. This online service is not about content. It is literally about the word of the Lord shaping and building a life that can handle the blessings that are coming. I am so encouraged that you jump on here every single week to listen to content, but the content should move you forward into community. The content is designed to be the gateway to community. And if we take the content and reject the community, we reject all the prophetic blessings that God has called people in community to have. One of my favorite verses is Ephesians 3, verse 20, where it says, and God is able, come on somebody, I'm turning into a preacher, to do more than you can ask, imagine, or think according to the power that is at work in us. Not you, us. Some people are not seeing God do more than they can ask, imagine, or think because they want him to do it for them. It's not you, it's us. That prophecy was spoken over a community. So if the enemy knows that that prophecy is getting ready to be fulfilled in your life, he would make you be offended to separate yourself from the family and community that the prophecy is coming to. This is so important that we understand the church is not a content creator. Yes, we have content, but the content is designed to be the gateway to community. The church is also not an event planner. It's why I've taken a break from conferences. I think conferences are powerful. I have been absolutely wrecked. Matter of fact, one of my, uh, three of my most powerful moments have happened in a conference. I, there is some type of huge gathering even brewing in my heart. I don't know what it is. Um, and so I'm not in any way discounting that. But when our job is to put on events for people to come and consume, we get outside of God's perfect will for the church. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. There's this verse in the Bible where Mary and Joseph uh, went to a huge gathering. Uh, they traveled to Jerusalem, as many uh, Jewish people would do at that time. And in the, the craziness of the event, they lost Jesus. They lost him for three days. They thought he was in the caravan of people um, coming back from Jerusalem. When they realized that, they go all the way back to Jerusalem to find Jesus, and Jesus was studying God's word with some of the religious leaders in the temple. And I've said to myself, and God has spoken to me through that verse, it is in religious events that we can often lose Jesus. It's in the hustle and the bustle and the busyness of events that we can lose Jesus. And there's times I've been so busy putting on an event for church that I've lost to Jesus and it's been three days and I didn't even know he wasn't in it. This is good stuff, guys. The church is, is, the church is not a business. The church is not an organized religion. The church is not a content creator. The church is not an event planner, but the church is 
the family of God. Yeah. A, about several hundred years ago, um, Paul would be known as the greatest apostle that ever lived. One of the greatest church leaders you could argue that ever lived. Um, it would be like him, uh, Billy Graham, Martin Luther King, and then T.D. Jakes, and then me. That's what Bible <laughs> scholars say. No, it's funny. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm probably not even top 250. Uh, yeah, maybe not even top 1,000. What what's, what'd be the humble number as, as me, as my pastoring? Can I, can I be in the top one? Let's just put me in the top 1,000. I need some encouragement. But this system of like building big buildings and putting a leader over them was not how the first church launched. Um, matter of fact, the first church started with a gathering that was decreasing. The Bible says that Jesus appeared to over 500 people and said to wait for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That's what he said in, in, in the book of Corinthians, over 500 people. But on the day of Pentecost, uh, 120 were there. So it seemed to me to be that 380 people at least were not able to wait on the Holy Spirit. And the church had actually shrunk. And then the Holy Spirit came and the church went to 3,000 in one day. But you have to remember that the church went through 3,000 in one day based off the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. When the law was given, and Moses on the mountain of the law, and Aaron uh, preached, uh, or Aaron built a, a golden calf out of the, the people's gold. And the Bible says that they were all worshiping a golden calf when... Um, Moses came down the mountain with the law, and Moses got so mad he broke the law in half. The way that that was restored was the Levites killed 3,000 of their family and friends. So at the release of the law, 3,000 people died. At the release of the Spirit, 3,000 people were saved. And this is how it worked in the church, that a small group of people united as brothers and sisters in Christ would have the Spirit fall on them, and it was the outpouring of the Spirit that grew the church. There's other verses in the book of Acts that says, and with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, the church grew. Not with systems, not with strategy, nothing wrong with systems and strategy, but it does not say that their systems and strategy grew the church. It says, with the encouragement of the Holy Ghost, the church grew. And so I could, one could surmise, to use that word, that one day a pastor wasn't satisfied with the size of their church because for some unknown reason, Bible scholars say that several hundred years ago, maybe a couple hundred years after Christ died, that they started with this system of rebuilding the temple. And then they, uh, because when Jesus died, the temple was shaken. So Jesus' death destroyed the building. And now it was prophetic that that building that we always attach church to was now the body, the people. And so they started building these churches and they started doing all these things. And then they ultimately put charismatic community leaders over the church to, to lead the people. And that has brought millions of people to God. I mean millions. What a blessing that this system of the church with Pastor Julian Lowe, lead pastor, it's on my email, uh, until I take it off. It was actually on my lower third when I put it on the screen, but I asked him to take it off because I just have a personal revelation about it. Um, but this has gotten thousands, millions of people into heaven, maybe even billions, because of we don't know all the places that it's spread. But Jesus was talking to some religious leaders in Matthew 23. And the first thing we have to tear down is this concept that I am here to be hyper-spiritual for you 
and that you don't have to connect with God because I'm gonna share with you the things that I connect with God about. That system has been used for thousands of years to build the church, and I'm grateful for it. But if we're gonna have a restoration that leads to revival, we might wanna look at scripture to what Jesus said about that. Matthew 23, verse five through 12, Jesus is talking about some religious leaders and he says, everything they do is for show. On their arms, they wear extra wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside and they wear robes with extra long tassels and they love to sit at the head of table, at the head table at banquets and in seats of honor in the synagogues. They love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi. They loved it. Pastor Julian, Pastor Julian, Pastor Julian. Hey, Pastor Julian, Pastor Julian, Pastor Julian. Hey, Pastor Julian, Pastor, you're amazing. Matter of fact, if, if, if there'd be some season in my life you didn't call me pastor, I would look at it as a fact of dishonor. I'm not Julian, I'm Pastor Julian. That's what they, I've been that way. And Jesus was like, they love to be called. Now, the word back then was not rabbi or pastor, it was rabbi. So it said they love to be called by the title. And Jesus said in verse eight something interesting. Don't let anyone call you rabbi. Don't let anyone call you that. So if someone approaches me and says, Pastor Julian, my instinct should be like, hey, I'm Julian. That should be my instinct based off scripture. For you only have one teacher. And all of you are equal as brothers and sisters. Don't address anyone here on earth as father, for only God in heaven is your father. And don't ever let anyone call you teacher, for you have one teacher, the Messiah The greatest among you is not a pastor or a rabbi. The greatest among you is not the best pastor. He's the best servant. So how you get to be a lead pastor is being the best servant, not the best leader. That would God order. And to protect that pathway to the top, Jesus would suggest that you not let anyone call you by your title in the church, but your title in the kingdom which is brother or sister in Christ. Do you know how profound this is? He's not saying that the title rabbi doesn't mean anything. Hear what I'm saying. I'm so grateful for pastors. He's trying to exalt me being a brother in Christ to you, you being a brother in Christ to me, uh, Pastor Christina being a sister in Christ to you, and you being a sister Christ in her. He's trying to exalt that family relationship above the org chart relationship that churches use to lead. And that a pastor who has followers but doesn't have brothers is out of order. Remember, this is not organized religion, but God is a God of order. One of the greatest compliments I've ever gotten as a leader has come recently where I went golfing. Surprise. And I was golfing with a couple of people who work for me and then a third guy who just uh, isn't believer and he um, was just hanging out with us. And he found out that these people were my employees. And he says, what, what honestly I was the most shocked is I played golf with you for four and a half hours and I didn't know those people worked for you. I thought they were your friends and it seemed like y'all was brothers. I said, they are my friends. They are my brothers. And it's not that they don't have responsibilities to do. It's not that they don't have things that they need to do in order to do their job. But we try to live here at Oasis in a way that the title that is above our department heads or is that we're brothers and sisters in Christ and we're not a perfect community, but that was what we were trying to do. So that is how God set the order for the pastor. Later in Luke chapter 15, 
he would give us the story of the prodigal son that would set the order of the church. And there was, there was the father, of course, represents God, the older brother who represents ultimately believers, and the younger brother who represents people who have strayed from God. And the whole story is not about the younger brother who left only. It's also about the older brother who didn't understand the purpose of the father. And so if you are a believer, you in that story, you represent an older brother, meaning you've never left God, you've done everything right. And in order for our church to be restored, people who have to be following God have to make sure that they don't have any older brother in them. If you remember the story, the older brother judged the younger brother for what the younger brother had done. So sometimes we spend so much time following Jesus, we judge culture, and and the culture is the younger brother of Jesus. And as the older brother who've been with God for years, we attack and judge culture for being the younger brother. They're out wild living and look at us, church. We're doing church. The nation doesn't have biblical values. Of course they don't because the mission of God is to be fruitful and multiply. He's always started off with a family that he's trying to expand. I want you to understand this so well that you are a brother and sister in Christ and you are part of a family if you are part of the church. If a church is a place you attend and not a person you, a thing you become, we're out of order. I'm gonna say that again. If you think church is a place you attend and not a family you become, we're out of order. Now, I think we should attend church, but we should attend church to learn how to be the church. That is the entire purpose. Jesus would mention other things about family in the Bible that are just odd to me, where Mark 3, verses 31 and 35 says, then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived, and standing outside, they sent someone in to call him, and a crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, hey, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. And he said, who are my mother and my brothers? Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. You know, in an attempt to be loving, we act like we shouldn't tell people the truth because we're all God's children, everyone, the whole world. And like, we don't tell people the truth. We just say, he's got the whole world in his hands. He loves you all. You're all his children. Yes and no. Because he just said, the one who does the will is in the family. So then does that mean he loves people who, doesn't, who don't do the will of God? Yes but the Bible would classify them as orphans. So the difference between someone who does the will is they're no longer an orphan. Jesus was saying to his disciples, hey, I'm gonna do something for you and y'all been following me, you've been in my word and I'm not going to leave you as orphans. An orphan biblically is someone who is parentless, comfortless and fatherless. So yes, God loves the whole world. He loved the whole world so much that John 3.16 says he sent Jesus to be uh, the sacrifice so that people could move from orphans to sons, daughters. How do you become a son and daughter? You do the will of God. Psalm 68, verse five through six says, God is the father to the fatherless, defender of widows. This is God whose dwelling is holy. God places the lonely, the orphan in families. He sets the prisoners free and gives them joy. John 14, verse 18, which I mentioned, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. And so this 
restorative way of doing church where we just adopt this concept that we are a family. I've been praying about it, and it's going to release three major things in our church in the next 18 months that is going to explode our kingdom influence in the city of Los Angeles. And one of the things it's going to release is this word I've been praying about, and it's going to release pillars. These pillars are leaders or elders. Matter of fact, people were called pillars. Peter was called a pillar in scripture um, by Paul. And and pillars are leaders or, or elders. And a leader or an elder is somebody who has set aside all personal desires. So they're a parent, they're a father, and they're a mom. So, um, you never see a dad watch his son play basketball and a good dad wishes his son was on the bench and he was in the game. Like it just wouldn't happen. So, so we're going to have elders. And typically this is, if you're 25, you're probably not an elder. If you're 30, you're probably not an elder. But once you get to my age where you're an old man and like half your hair is gray, and if you grew your beard, it, you just like, I'm a couple years away from Morgan Freeman, to be honest. Like I'm just... Uh-huh. Like, I'm an old man. I'm closer to the grave. I'm closer to the grave than a womb. I'm knocking stuff over. That's old, old people do that. They just, they don't even pay attention. They just knock. I'm 45 years old. I'm an old man. I'm a dad. I want Colton and Jess and Caleb and Grace and Corinne and Stephen. I want y'all. I want you online. I want, I'm a dad. I just want to be on the sidelines cheering and yelling and embarrassing you. Like, that's my job. I am past this, this, time in my ministry where I want to do anything at all. I want to raise people up. I don't want to be Martin Luther King. I want to raise Martin Luther King. I don't want to be Billy Graham. I want to raise Billy Graham. I don't want to be Stephen Furtick. I want to raise Stephen Furtick. That's the difference. I don't want to be Kobe Bryant. I want to raise Kobe Bryant. I'm trying to use fatherhood as the method of leadership. That's what it is. So elders are people who are spiritual moms and moms and dads to the community because most of us grew up with either one of our mom and dad just being a little off. Can I be honest? Like, come on, moms was a little off or dad was a little off. And most of us are raising kids where one of I'm going to be the off one in my family. Christina is perfect. I'm the one that's off. And so my kids are going to need to be in a church with some spiritual moms and dads. If something were to happen to me, I need my kids going to a church where people are not event planning, where people are not based off that stuff, where there are spiritual moms and dads who can come alongside my kids and help them grow. This is what this is about. We need pillars in the community. There's this prophetic verse in 2 Chronicles. Oh, shoot, pastor going to 2 Chronicles. Verse 3, verse 15 through 17, when Solomon was building the temple. Listen to this verse. From the front of the temple, he made two pillars, which together were 35 cubits long, each with a capital five cubits high. He made interwoven chains and put them on top of the pillars. He also made 100 pomegranates and attached them to the chain. That represents the fruit of the spirit. So, oh, this is good. Pillars don't represent the gifts of the Spirit. Pillars represent the fruit of the Spirit. Pillars in the community are people who exemplify the character of God. The gifts of God are needed to build the church, and I'm going to get to that next. But pillars represent the character of God. That's why there were pomegranates, fruit. Even in the Old Testament, the priests used to have pomegranates flowing off their robes so that attached to bells so that when the priest showed up, it was literally a prophetic signal. The character of God has walked in the room. It, it was letting everyone know the character of God. A priest couldn't move and people couldn't hear them 
clanging and banging from, from all the way because they wanted it to be the character of God is walking in the room. It says he also, he erected the pillars in front of the temple, one to the south and one to the north. And watch this, the one to the south, he named Joaquin and the one to the north, Boaz. So they gave pillars human names. I believe this is a prophetic insight that in the church, because there is no temple, now that we go to the church, the temple is God's people. But within those temples, these two pillars held up an entire building. Why do you think it says where two or more are gathered? Two? I would imagine it's probably two pillars. If I can get two people who are carrying the character of God in any church, them two people get together, this thing I will do. The other thing that God is sending us is builders. These are people who build God's house with their gifts with these gifts that God has given them. And when pillars are trying to be builders, uh, builders get disenfranchised. This is so important. When a pillar, um, I used to go to conferences all the time. And when I did, it, it, it was kind of commonplace for older leaders to be prayed for that someone would hold their arms up. I'm praying for somebody to hold your arms up. I'm praying that your team is holding up your arms. But I would always think when that prayer was being prayed that Moses was sitting down with his arms lifted. He wasn't working. And when he was sitting down with the character of who he was, with his arms up in a posture towards God, the Bible says Joshua is winning the battle. I believe there are some young, young builders in our church that won't win the battle until elders worship God with character, fighting and praying for them to be successful. Matthew 9 verse 38 says, so pray. Jesus only asked for prayer a few times in the Bible. One of them was the cross and the other one is in Matthew 9, 38, where he said, pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest ask him to send workers. Uh, Paul would call these people later in, in the first Corinthians builders. Pray that he would send builders into his fields. Who are his fields? The world, people. So we can't complain about culture. We have to be sent into culture to build it and bring God's gospel message to culture. God's bringing us pillars. He's bringing us builders and he's bringing us givers. Proverbs 18, 16 says a man's gift in the Amplified Bible, given in love or courtesy, makes room for him and brings him before great men. So now that we've established what the church isn't, and we've talked about what the church is, how do we express that here as an Oasis Church family? Even you online, this is one of the hardest things you will do as someone watching online is to engage in this values because we've gotten comfort for, comfortable for 18 months just watching but this is not meant for you to watch. It, right. if, and I want to say this so importantly, every great athlete hates to watch the game. They hate being on the bench. They hate it. And so I'm praying that God would put something inside of you that hates being on the sidelines in something you're supposed to be participating in. And so our family values, because we've talked about our vision this year, um, is to have the attitude of Christ. Um, uh, the, the, the vision of the church is lives transform through intimacy with God and each other. So that's our vision um, of, as a church, is that our lives will be transformed. And not just spiritually, every area of your life would be transformed through intimacy with God and each other. And I believe our church, our intimacy with God is at an all-time high. I think our intimacy with people is at an all-time low. Coming out of the pandemic, wearing masks all the time to see people. Isn't it interesting that the mask mandate in LA is being lifted on Friday as we talk about being intimate with people? Mm -hmm. um, 
I asked my kids, the mask mandate's being lifted in schools in March. I asked my kids, I asked Bailey, um, how do you feel about the mask mandate being lifted? And she said, you know, I mean, there have been a couple of COVID cases, so, you know, I might wear my mask sometimes, I might not. And I asked Dallas what he thought about it, and he said, I felt enslaved, and now I'm free. I'm like, <laughs> I, I don't know how I can have two different kids. I got two kids across the aisle. Like, one of them is going to run for president for this party. The other one's going to run for president for that. But I'm like, oh, my God. Living in the same house with those two different um, opinions. Uh, but I, but I, but I want to challenge you to not use coronavirus as a way to be disconnected. Like, do whatever you can to not catch COVID. But I mean, we are part of the most restrictive state in the world, in California. If they say it's cool to hang out with people, maybe you should do whatever you have to do to be in community. Because if we don't have these family values, my vision is that your life would be transformed. But without values, values are the soil that we plant vision in. So when I give you a prophetic word that God's going to bless your finances, that God's going to bless your family, he's gonna, all that stuff is true. But vision is the seed. Values are the soil. And if we plant great vision in bad soil... It will not prosper anything. So our family values that we're going to be talking about for the next several weeks, as long as it takes where I feel like it's taken root in our church, are these six core family values. Are you ready? Yes. Church online. The first one is we give together. Come on. Just read a great verse about giving. Giving makes room for you. God is preparing things for the generous. The Bible says he's able to, to bless you, that you'll be able to be generous on every occasion. God wants to give you resources that you would never have to say no. If you don't say no to God, God will put you in a position where you never have to say no. This is why we need to give together. And I'm asking each and every one of you, um, as we really get deeply rooted in these uh, family values, to just commit to giving something once a month. Doesn't matter what it is, it could be $5. Commit to doing something once a month. The second value is we worship together. And worship, we're going to learn, is more than music. It's a lifestyle, a consecrated life, set apart, living for God uh, with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. The third value is we eat together. Come on, Dave's hot chicken. Come on, Thanksgiving dinner. We eat together. Do you know how prophetic it was for Jesus' final moment with his disciples all together was sharing a meal? And matter of fact, when he sent them out to bring miracles, he said, go in their homes and share a meal with them, pray for them, and let God bring miracles. And the church is skipping the meal trying to get to the miracles. He said, no, eat with them, be intimate with them, because there's something about intimacy that sharpens your prayer for miracles. So if we're not intimate with who we're praying for, I believe it quenches the Holy Spirit. It is relational connection that is the best atmosphere for miracles. And Jesus has ordained that the church, and I want to say this the right way, that the church doesn't spend so much time at the conference table that they're never at the dinner table. Okay. I'm going to leave that there. The fourth value is we pray together. We pray together. Obviously, that is self-explanatory. Prayer means to exchange wishes in the Greek. A petition is asking God for something. A prayer, a healthy prayer life, is you went into the presence of God thinking one way, wanting to do one thing, and you come out the presence of God thinking differently, 
and doing differently. That's a healthy prayer life. Uh, the fifth one is that we serve together. We serve together. We are going to have a legacy in our community that is about serving. And of course, the sixth one is that we have to grow. You're going to hear a great verse in Ephesians 4 about growing. Growing together means that we grow in maturity. We cannot be immature in our faith. We can't be immature in our knowledge of the word of God. As children of God, we have to grow up to be healthy adults uh, with God. And that is how it works. We grow up in his presence. We grow up in his grace. And we grow in our knowledge of Jesus. Uh, I'm going to close it with this verse that I believe is powerful. Uh, Hebrews 10 24, 25, for, for everyone out there who is trying to um, lessen the value of a gathering, lessening the, lessening the value of being a part of a church. Um, people are trying to lessen the value of the mega church, that, that if it's not small, it's not good. Let me tell y'all, heaven, T.D. Jake says, huge. Heaven is huge. Heaven ain't small. If you want small, uh, he said it a different way, but I'm not going to say what he said because I don't have that kind of like weight. But he was like, if you don't, heaven is huge. Um, he, he, was, he was funny. Go look it up. Um, but Hebrews 10 verse 24 through 25 says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What day? The day of Christ." Return And that word stir uh, is translated spur, where as we have these six values together, that word spur literally means to jab someone in the side. So church shouldn't be soft and fluffy and feel good. If you're gathering, it is a, mm, come on, you got it. And that pain that your, your brother or sister in Christ gives you, you can handle because you know that they have your best interests in mind because you've done these all six family values together and you trust that they love you and they want to see you walking in the perfect will of God. I really believe as we embrace this series of family values, it's going to set up us up for some of the other things that I believe God has called me to preach into this community. Um, but if we reject these things, then we become bad soil for these prophetic words. So I want you to take this away. One, if you have to miss a Sunday, I want you to go back and watch every single sermon in this series. Number two, I want you to say to yourself, not just that's good, but how am I participating in this? Am I giving? Do I worship God? Have I had a meal with someone in community? Am I praying for people? Are people praying for me? When's the last time that I served somewhere? And am I growing? If we do these things together as a community, and I imagine that um, while I may be talking to thousands of people, um, maybe only hundreds will actually do this, but it's on these hundreds that the spirit will fall. And I really believe that it will yield to revival. Maybe thousands could be saved in one day. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you that right now, we realize what the church is. The church was always meant to be the family of God. So Father, would you help myself and any communicators that would share these messages really um, uh, preach the word? And would you help the soil that is the hearts of people who call Oasis home be prepared to step out of the season of isolation that COVID has brought into a season of prophetic community where the blessings of God can not just be on us as an individual, but on us as a community. God, I pray these family values, that the roots of these values would run deep and that um, even uh, leaders in our church would ask themselves, do I live out these family values in a way that would set an example? And I'm reminded of, of 
of your goodness, God, in all of this, um, that you want to lead us forward, you want to bless us, and you want to do it all together. And so I'm praying for these things to happen in our church and in our community in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you so much. I'm so encouraged by you. Hey, um, one of our values, give together. Don't forget to, to give at OasisLA.org and, and be praying about this and how um, these messages might impact your life and change your perception of what the church was always meant to be. I love you so much and can't wait to see you soon.